Okay, so we've, um, we've been looking at this series on outlasters, have, having faith that outlasts the circumstances, having faith that comes out the other side. You can't avoid the storms, but you can go through them and come out the other side. You can't avoid the ups and downs of life because we live in a fallen world full of fallen people with an enemy is out to get us and we make our own messes anyway. So you, you can't avoid these things, but what you can do is you can come through these things with a victory and you can come through stronger than when you went in. And that's about faith that outlasts. And uh, what, a, what a lot of people do when they, they hear uh, about this is they... Work hard to get faith. And I just want to read you something. And basically, this talk, it's starting today. It'll finish next week. I'll just warn you of that now. Um, Because it's got like several points or several, several things. You see, we serve a God of abundance. And because that's the way he thinks, because that's the way he wires, he just doesn't leave you with one thing. He leaves you with lots of different things in case you can't get a hold of the first one. And so faith rests on things. Faith is established on things. And it's not just one thing. It's lots of different ways, lots of different perspectives of looking at it. In case we can't see it one way, we can see it a different way. That's what a God of abundance does. And what this that I want to talk about is that faith rests. Faith rests. Faith isn't about getting more faith. Because we have all the faith we need, don't we? Jesus said, if you've got like a little tiny mustard seed of faith, you can shift mountains. Well, I'm not bothered about mountains. I'm just bothered about healing and a few changed lives. So we're well away. I don't even leave mustard-sized stuff. And, and yet I've been given the measure of faith. I've got the same faith, the same spirit in me as Christ. So it's not a shortage of faith. I'm not working and straining and studying and, and things to get more faith. What I have to strive for and work at is to rest. Yeah. To enter the rest. And Hebrews 4.2 puts it like this. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest... Uh, let us fear lest any of us come short of that. Come short of what? Entering the rest. Not come short of God, come short of entering the rest. For indeed, and he's talking about the, the, the Israelites, for indeed the gospel was preached to them as well as to us. But it didn't do them any good because they didn't mix it with faith. For anyone who believes enters the rest. Okay, you're getting this. Faith rests. And it can rest, you know, like one thing you can't do is throw yourself up in the air and rest in thin air. Should we try that? Anybody want to try that one? You can't do it. You know that you're going to go splat, don't you? But faith rests on something that's solid and firm. So what we're trying to say is, not do we get more faith, how do we rest and remind ourselves of the things that faith rests on? And that's what I'm going to talk about the next two weeks. And it's so important, you see, right across this planet, people are preaching the gospel. 
You know, as Christians, sometimes we can argue about these things, but right across the planet, people are preaching the gospel. But it's not profiting a whole load of people because they're not mixing it with faith, and therefore they're not entering the rest. You see, you can do the Christian life without faith and without resting, entering the rest. However, you will be tired, and you won't see a whole lot of things that God, that God has planned for you and God wants to do through you. So when we, when we work at it and rely on ourselves, it doesn't work. All we can achieve is what a human being can achieve. And how many of you know that you're not perfect and you're pretty limited? So all we can build on that basis is the best churches man can build. And Jesus actually said, I'm not interested in churches. I'm interested in movements. I'm interested in the power of the kingdom be displayed on earth. And so we need to move away from building the best things we can do and doing the best things we can do and rely and trust that God's going to do it and he's going to keep his promises. Now, that's pretty serious. And the reason it's serious is this, because Jesus, looking ahead, you know, when he was on earth, he looked ahead into the future and he looked to what the world would be like just before he came back. And do you know what he said? He said, here's the big issue. When I come back, am I going to find faith on earth? Not will I find believers or, or Christians on earth, but will I find people who are walking in faith? Will I find people who know how to do the business, how to bring about the kingdom through their lives? Will I find people who trust me instead of themselves? Will I find people who are more reliant on what I can do than in what they can do? Will I find people who have learned how to rest? Now, rest isn't, you know, there's two types of rest, isn't there? There's, there's rest like where you snore. That's the little cartoons with the Zs on. You know, that's the sort of rest, isn't it? Or, or I'm tired, I'm, I'll, I'll just have a kip in the armchair. That's one sort of rest. That, this, that's not what he's talking about. You see, some people uh, get a handle on this. They read the word rest and they think, oh, that's great. I don't have to do anything. I can just like lie around and God will do it all and we can just watch. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about when he talks about the rest that we can still go into, is that there are things that he has provided for us that cannot be obtained by work. They require us to trust him and believe him. And when he says that they rested from their own works, they then enter his rest, which is trusting him to do what he said he will do. He, of course, calls us to partner in doing what he does, but it's him working through us. That's the rest, him working through us. Instead of us just doing what we think we can do, every time we get a problem, we sit there, we ponder it, we come up with six steps to sort it out, we try it, it, ma it makes a bigger mess, so we come up with another six steps to sort it out, and, and we try and do everything without God. One of the problems that we, we have, I think, in our lives, and you know, I, I observe this, is we, we try everything to sort out our lives, and only when we've tried everything to sort out our lives do we go, I'd better pray about it and let's get it on the prayer chain. 
And it's the wrong way around. We shouldn't ever get to the point where we're trying to sort out our lives. We should be listening to the Holy Spirit for the next step and the wisdom that will take us through our lives. And we'd save ourselves a whole lot of bother if we took that approach. So, in a sense, we need to retrain ourselves in the way we run as believers. Because you all know this. You know, like I, I stand up here every, every Sunday morning and I say the same thing that I can't remember if it was Heller or Ubley that said it. But the gospel is simple. There's only so many things you can say. So that's why pastors tell stories, because they've run out of things to say. <laughs> but the gospel's simple. So I'm not telling you anything you haven't read before and you don't know. Am I? No. You see, you only, most, I guess 95% of this room will know what Proverbs 3 verse 5 says. Even if you don't know the reference, you know that, that it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How many of you knew that verse? How many of you heard preaches on that verse? How many of you do it? <laughs> no, we prefer our own understanding. So let's do our own understanding. And only when our own understanding fails will we go, oh, I better trust God now. Well, I can't remember how to do that. I'll get somebody else to do it for me. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not the way the, the kingdom is meant to function in our lives. And, and we need, in the body of Christ in the UK, we need a radical mind shift on that. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to somebody about just these very topics at, at a conference that uh, I was speaking at uh, three weeks, was it three weeks ago? Seems like yesterday, I'm still tired. Uh, <laughs> we, we were in like... <laughs> rest, yeah. Logie, I miss you when you're not here. <laughs> but, and I was talking about this, and they go like, we've never heard that. And you go like, why have you never heard that? Because we're not saying it. You know, we're, 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 we're fiddling while Rome burns, or we're fiddling while the kingdom burns. We're building our... our, our you know, our works and our empires and, and the kingdom's burning <coughs> because we're not doing these basic things. And it's not a case that we don't know it. It's the case that we don't follow through and live by it. And that's the big step. That's the big step I think God's asking us as believers to take because Jesus was kind of worried about it. He was going like... I, I'm not sure I'm going to find that many people who actually live like this. And, and I've just spent three years training guys that are going to plant this right across the world, and I'm a bit concerned that when I come back, they'll all have forgot how to do it. And they'll all have decided that they'll carry on doing it. You know what people who build their own churches are called, and people that build their own religion, and people rely on their own understanding? Do you know what they're called? Idiots is a good word, but they're actually, they're actually called Pharisees. Who wants to be a Pharisee? Well, don't rely on your own understanding then. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Guard your heart. So what does faith live, uh, rest on? Because right at um, the start of Hebrews and at the start of um, Romans, it says the just will live by faith. That's a quote from the Old Testament from Habakkuk. He says the just live by faith. 
Those who have been made right with God live by faith. It's how we're meant to live. So what does it rest on? What does, it, what does that faith sit on? Like, what, what makes it solid so it doesn't go all over the place every time we have a problem or every time we have di- difficulties or every time we, the, the enemy tries to make us feel ill or any, ta- any of those things? What does it rest on? Again, there's going to be no surprises in what I'm going to tell you. Okay, no surprises. Say, no surprises. No surprises. But I won't fall asleep. No. <laughs> He is the first thing that faith rests on, the word of God. The word of God. There we see a problem, because as believers, we need to know the word of God. And just listening to me on a Sunday morning, however brilliant or rubbish I am, won't give you enough of the word of God. You've got to actually learn to digest the word of God for yourselves. And... Why, why can faith rest on God's word? Why can it just go, yeah, I'm going to tr- that's my foundation. I'm going to trust that and not what I think and not what I see. Because it's not just about trusting what we think. It's about not trusting what we see either. Because what we see isn't the end of the story. It's not, it's not that it's not real. It's just not the end of the story. It, it isn't finished yet. What we see can change. And, and I know you know this because I say it all the time because I like it because I, I, I invented it, this little phrase, that the facts don't change the truth, but the truth can change the fact. We don't deny the facts. We, we, we apply the truth to them and it changes the facts. And so that's how, that's how faith works. And, and it works because when God spoke the word, he intended that he would keep it. Psalm 138 verse 2 says that he has exalted his word above his, uh, depending on which translation you read, it says above the authority of his own name or above his own throne. Either way you read it, that's God saying it, that if I ever keep my word, I don't deserve to rule this place. So if I ever not keep my word, I don't deserve to rule. Because I've, I've staked all my integrity on keeping my word. You know, um, let me read you, uh, I've lost my Bible. So let me read you a bit from Psalm 119. You can find Psalm 119. It's that great big whoppy one right in the middle. Psalm 119, verse um, 89, says this. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now, if God's word is settled, what does that mean? It means it's not changing, doesn't it? Forever. You see, when God speaks something, because he staked all his integrity and all his authority on it, he can't change it. That's why we, when he makes covenants with man, he keeps them. You know, what God has said cannot be changed by what is going on in your life. The only thing you can do, therefore, is shift your life to come more into line with what he said. Because he isn't moving to where your life is shifted to. So the only option we have, apart from trying to sort out our own mess, 
and build our own empires is to move closer to where his word says things are because it's not moving. That's why you can rest on it. It's not very easy to rest on something that's rolling, booking, kicking, wobbling all over the place, is it? Ever tra- anybody ever tried to have a sleep on a booking bronco? <laughs> it's kind of like you're not going to do it, are you? And yet that's how we try and live our lives. We try and find some sort of stability in everything going up and down. And it doesn't. It doesn't. There is no stability when everything's going up and down. So the only way we can find stability is move our lives in line with God's word. Because that's not moving. And because it's not moving, we can rest. We don't have to fight against the currents. We don't have to hold on to the reins and try and stay on the bucking bronco. We don't have to do those things because we can rest. And we trust God. God said this, my words won't return to me void, but they'll achieve the things for which I sent them. That tells me that God intended when he said something that it was going to do something. And so we look at his word and we go, okay, if I follow and trust in what he said, it will have an effect in my life. What is going on around me, I will come through and come out the other side. Here's, um, here's the thing I'll just show you, okay? So I'll, I'll just wander over here, hope I don't get any feedback. But don't, don't worry, I'm not going to steal your handbags or your wallets or anything. But if I turn that off, that one there. Okay, so what have I done? I've switched the power off, yeah? <coughs> they, this is normal life without God. You are left without any light. Why? Because there's a fuse that makes the light come. The fuse is called faith. And to do it, that you see, there's always electric in that wall. There's always wires going to every single one of these lights. The problem is not the power. Would you agree? The problem's not the power. The problem's not the wiring. What's the problem? The problem is we haven't connected. And the way we connect to what's already there is faith. Faith is the fuse. It's it's the little trigger, the switch, that makes the kingdom work in our lives, makes available what Christ has already paid for. Are you getting this? So faith rests on God's word. Now, if you've done um, um, rock solid, you've seen me do this. But it's just really to emphasize what I'm saying. But here's a chair, okay? Now, if if you've noticed that these chairs, they've become less and less stable over the years, the year and a half we've been in here, and the arms are falling off now. So I'm not as confident about this as I used to be. But if I stand on the chair, I can stand on the chair, and I'm pretty stable, aren't I? Okay, that, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Welcome to life. When you're a good time. Now, if I was to um, get Simon here, my, my, my friend Simon, to come here with, with his, his big meaty arms, come on, <laughs> and to wobble this chair. Really? 
No, not really. <laughs> Just, you can pretend to do it. Pretend to do it, yeah. <laughs> now you're all worried, aren't you? Yeah. You're worried. Like, you can give it a wobble. Yeah? So it's not as stable now, is it? And if Simon was really to wobble it, what, you, you, go on then, really wobble it. Really. Yeah, go on. Really, really, really. Really, really. Yeah, go on. <laughs> go on, wobble it. Yeah. So what happens? What happens if I put my confidence in the world? When the world is fine, I'm stable. When the world's not fine, I fall off and I've got nothing to catch me. That's what happens when we put our faith in our own understanding and, our, and in all the world's ideas about things. Now, instead, if I'm on the floor, you can stand up again, Simon. It shows, shows you mighty power. Now, I want you to move the floor. Go on. He didn't try very hard, did he? Go on, try a bit harder. Move the floor. Okay. <laughs> you see, however hard the enemy tries and however hard the world tries and however hard circumstances try, it's not moving. Because I based my life on God's word, not on the world. Did you get it? Yes. Good. <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of learned this the hard way because I didn't, you know, when I was growing up... I, I grew up in like a church background where it was kind of nice and it was traditional and, and all the rest of it, but I didn't know a whole lot of word. And so when I went to university um, and I discovered baptism in the spirit and I was filled with the spirit and I started praying for people to be healed and they were getting healed. Um, you know, I've told these stories lots of times and, and there, was a, there was a flow of healing and somebody said to me, that's not God. And I think I've told you before that that shut me down for a long time. Why did that happen? That happened because I didn't know any word. Because if I'd known any word, I would have understood that that is what God does these days. And it's always what God has done. You see, when you don't know any word, you're easily led into man-made philosophy and ideas. And there's one problem with that. It doesn't work like the word does. It shakes when things shake. So where, where does that leave you? That leaves you in a world that says God doesn't do anything. God, or God does things at random. He picks people that he does stuff and other people he just lets them suffer. And, and we end up with a really different God to the way, way he is. Why? Because we built it on human philosophy than, rather than building it on the word. And, and because I didn't know that, that threw me for years. Like hundreds of people, thousands of people could have got healed in that time, but I didn't have any confidence. So I didn't pray for anybody. So you never know, do you? What, what would have happened? And it's because I didn't know wor enough word. I didn't know the word and how it worked. So faith rests on the word. The second thing, because I said he's a God of abundance, because that would be enough, wouldn't it? What I've just told you, that's enough, isn't it? Like, if we just did that one, that's fine. But some of you haven't quite got that one, you know. So God provides different ways of looking at it. So faith rests on something else. It's got another solid foundation. What does it rest on? The cross. Faith rests on the cross. You see, when Jesus 
um, went to the cross. How many of you, what, what's the last words, John recalls them, what's the last words that Jesus says before he dies? It is finished. What's finished? Everything he came to do. Now, if you uh, grew up in the traditional church that I grew in, up in, all it says is, what's finished? Jesus is paying on the cross and he gave up his spirit and that was the end of it. He didn't have to suffer anymore. No, that's not just what's going on there. Lots of people died on crosses. Tens of thousands of people throughout the Roman Empire died on crosses. That's not just what's going on here. Jesus, when he said he's finished, what he's saying, and, and the, the, the words actually mean it's completely complete and perfectly perfect. Say that, completely complete and perfectly perfect. Say it ten times really quickly. <laughs> completely complete and perfectly perfect. Why? Because he's finished all he came to do. And it's perfect and complete. What does that mean? It means this. There is nothing more that Jesus is ever going to do. Because if there was still stuff for him to do, it wouldn't be complete and it wouldn't be perfect. It also means this. He's done everything he did come to do. And it also means this. There's nothing more that is necessary for him to do. You see, people that, that, that are still looking for Jesus to, to come down from heaven and do some new stuff. And what they're really saying is, Jesus, when you died on the cross, it wasn't enough. You let you forgot something. What's the problem? The problem is this, that, that we believe that we should be able to contribute to what Jesus has done. Therefore, we believe it's on us to get him to move. And it's not on us to get God to move. What is for us is to believe what he's already paid for. You see, it works like this. Um, what does it mean? If, if somebody said to you, uh, Billy Bob got saved last Sunday. What, does God, what, what do you think of when he says got saved? Gave his life to Christ. Yeah? Got saved. Okay. So that's the way a lot of people think of that word saved. Isn't it? You, like you said some sort of prayer, you made a commitment, and you've decided to become a Christian. So you got saved. Now, there's a problem with that in that that's not what the word says. And this might come as a shock to some of you, but that isn't what the word says. Because that word translated saved, just saying a prayer and getting to heaven one day doesn't encapsulate what that word actually means. It's, you see, we have this thing, that we're, not, we're not working in English. We're, we're working in Greek. And because, you know, some, you know like this, is a, this is a pretty hefty volume, isn't it? Yeah? You want to try the Amplified. That's a really hefty volume. And when we translate that word um, 
that we use as saved, in another place, that same word is translated healed. In another place, that same word is translated made whole. In another place, that same word is translated prosper. In another place, that same word is translated delivered. In another place, it's translated Jesus is coming back a second time. In another place, it's translated set free. In another place, it's translated broken out of bondage. Why? Because they're all encapsulated in what Jesus did. That word is sozo. That's what it means. So we, when we say saved, it means saved, forgiven of your sins, but given new life, given eternal life, set free, made whole, healing provided, life provided, authority over the enemy won, lives changed. So every time we say saved, that's what we're saying. And when Jesus said it's finished, he said, I've paid for all that for you. And it's complete and perfect. Peter puts it like this, and you know, I'm not, this is the reason I haven't put the verses up because I'm just like free form. Peter puts it like this, 2 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 says, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Now, let's, let's just unpack that a little bit. Maybe this is more than two weeks. <laughs> let's unpack it a little bit. If you've been given, you have been given. What tense is that? Past. What does that mean? It's something that happened. It's already happened, doesn't it? You have been given. Now, if you've been given it, where is it? It's yours, isn't it? Yeah, if you're given something, it's yours. Like, you don't unwrap a Christmas present and say, oh, that was a lovely gift from, from, from Auntie Betty, and then say, it's not mine, though. Because it said on the label, that's for you. You have been given it. So, you have been given... All you need, say all, all. I need, I for what? Life. Life and godliness, that's walking right with God. So if you've got everything you need for life and godliness, what's your problem? Honestly, what's your problem? I, I, could, I could just read that and, in fact, I'll read, I'll, I'll just sit down. Because what is the problem? Either that is true or not. If it's not true, what are you bothering about being a Christian for? Because you're not taking God at his word. If it's true, what's your problem? Well, I just don't have this and I need that and I need that. You've got everything you need for life and godliness. What's your problem? You don't believe it. Because if you just believe that one verse alone, it would transform your life. Wouldn't it? Good. I'm glad we got that. <laughs> Thank you for that resounding enthusiasm. <laughs> let me, let me, okay, so that's just proved my point. Let's go on to the third thing faith rests on then, because if you haven't got it by number two, we'll move on to number three. Uh, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> you, you just wait till next week. You, you just don't get ahead of me. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 9.15. Again, it's not on the slides. Just forget the slides. You can put the third one up when I've read Hebrews 9.15. Hebrews 9.15, where are we? I haven't even got it marked, but we're going there. Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, he... Who's he? Jesus. He is the mediator 
of what? The new covenant by means, how did he become the mediator? How did that happen? What's a mediator? A mediator is somebody that, that connects, in this case, heaven to earth. Jesus is the connection between what is the reality in heaven and what is now available on earth. He becomes the mediator of the new covenant. That's kind of deep. You need to have got that. You know, people go, oh, Jesus is there pleading before the Father. That's not what it's saying. It's saying he's the connector between the reality of heaven and what is now on earth. That's why Jesus, when he was on the earth, he said, forget praying for the kingdom to come. It's here. The kingdom of heaven, as long as I'm here, is on earth. Now, when I'm not here, you guys are going to have to pray for the Holy Spirit so that the kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. But he's the mediator of that covenant. He, he links what is real in heaven with what is the, 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 is, can be the reality on earth. He makes available to it. And it's a permanent place because he got that place by reason of dying on the cross. It was his reward. His, well, one of his rewards. You were his reward that he was looking to. But also, as a result of that, he was exalted, placed above every other name, and given this place of the mediator of the new covenant. It's a permanent role. It's a permanent office. It's who he is. So he started, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death, what? For the redemption of transgressions under the old covenant. That's good news, isn't it? It's long words. Say that's long words. Redemption of transgressions means he paid for everything you've ever done wrong, doing wrong right there while you sat there doing your shopping list while I'm talking, and everything you will do wrong. Why? Because he loves you. So he's, he paid, he paid the price for everything. All the terms of the old covenant he kept. And he paid all the penalties under that covenant and bought you out of it. So you're not in that covenant anymore. What you're in is the new covenant. So a new covenant, lost my pace. I'm excited now. What verse am I on? 15. For the redemption of transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive what? The promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, you're going to have to, because if, if, if you want me to show you hundreds of verses on this, I'll do it. However, we'll be here next January. Okay? So you'll just have to go with me on this, because I preached it all the way through Hebrews. So if you want to go and find... Explore this in detail. Just go back to those talks on Hebrews. It's not that the eternal inheritance is in the future. Some of it is because, you know, Jesus hasn't come back yet. And when he comes back, we'll see him face to face and we'll know as we're known and all the rest of it. So some of our eternal inheritance, and, and if we're not here and we can't do the flying up in the air thing that I want to do, which, you know, that whole going to meet him in the sky thing, I, I want to be here. Uh, well, no, I won't need to be. I'm just going to, but I'll feel like Superman for that one day. I will fly because that's, that's what's promised. I go to meet him in the air if I'm here. So I'm kind of like hanging on for that bit. The rest of heaven, kind of attractive, but the flying in the air is outweighing it at the moment. Okay, so it's not just about that. 
In fact, what it is, is the promise of eternal inheritance, the promise was made under the old covenant. Now in Jesus, it's available. How do I know that? Because eternal life, according to Jesus, doesn't start when you get to heaven. Eternal life, according to Jesus, starts the minute you enter into a real relationship with Christ. Because he says eternal life is this, to know God. To know him, have a relationship with him, and, and, and for you to be adopted in his family. So this promised eternal inheritance is now there. So we have an inheritance. Now, I know a lot of you know this, because if you were listening when I did Hebrews, you know this, and I'm not going to do the whole thing again, but it's like this. If you've got a contract of a deal... You've got to pay things, you've got to do things, you've got to earn things. You've got to fulfill certain conditions to get things, right? Now, that's how a lot of us behave in our relationship with God. That we've got to fulfill a lot of things, earn a lot of things, do a lot of things before God will do something for us. There's a couple of problems with that. Here's the first problem. You'll never, ever do enough. He's a God that can't be satisfied that way because perfection is his standard. So you can never do it. So stop it. Stop thinking like that. Stop thinking that God will only do something for me if I've already done all these things and I'm good enough for him to do something for me. Because that... Here's, here's the second problem with that. Some pretty rubbish, pretty first day believers, newly converted people who are still on drugs and all the rest of it seem to get miracles and you can't. Now, if it was fair and it was based on how good you were, they don't deserve them, do they? But it is apparent that some people get miracles that don't seem to deserve it, isn't it? When you can sit there and go like, what did I do wrong? The answer's nothing. You're just not resting. Do you get that? You see, because it's not a contract anymore. It's an inheritance. How do you get hold of an inheritance? By being in the family. By being left it. Who pays for the inheritance? The dead person. Are you dead? No. Okay, that didn't convince me that there's many alive. Are you dead? No. So you didn't pay for the inheritance? No. Who paid for it? Jesus. Jesus. What's he left you? An inheritance. How do you get hold of an inheritance? Oh, let's pay for it. Let's run for it. Let's work hard. Let's, let's prove I'm worth it. Let's prove I'm worthy of getting that inheritance. No, you don't do that. that you'd look a, an absolute idiot in a lawyer's office doing that, wouldn't you? And I'm reading the last will and testament of Benjamin Moneybags. <laughs> and he's left you a million pounds. Oh, let me earn it. Let me earn it. Please, please, I want to pay for it. You would look a complete prat, wouldn't you? <laughs> trying to do that it's not an appropriate response is it so why do we relate to God like that 
Why do we relate to God like that? How do you get hold of an inheritance? You reach over the desk and you take it. Inheritances are received and not achieved. They're given and not earned. They're free and not paid for. That's how you get hands on the inheritance. That's why faith rests. Because what, what are you going to do? You can leave it on the desk or you can take it off the desk. And this, this is why a lot of our faith short circuits. Because we're still trying to get a covenant, a contract to work for us, when what we have is an inheritance. That's how we rest, knowing that, you know, in the love of God. Because it's all him. Are you getting this now? Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think I'll... Did I finish there? Yeah, I think I'll finish there. Because otherwise, we'll get ahead of ourselves. And the next point is kind of longer. But here's the thing. Let me tell you a story. Uh, some of you know this lady. Some of you, well, a few of us were actually here when it happened. But it was before, before Faith Life. Uh, and so... Um, it's a lady that was in uh, the Bible study that became rock solid. But it was like three generations before, so it's nothing like it is now. And we, what do we call it then? First steps? Yeah. Giant leaps? Yeah. Um, then it became heart to heart, and then it became rock solid. So if you go and like sitting there thinking, I haven't done rock solid, but if you've done heart to heart, you're all right. If you haven't done rock solid, at some point you need to do it. But... We were there, and this lady had grown up in a very traditional denomination. And she was absolutely convinced that, that God was mad with her. Every time she messed up, God, God's angry with me, and I've got to do something to make him happy again. And so, she, you know, and, and she had some really serious problems in her life. But one of those problems, which she, she kept um, showing us, and, and she, she would bring the x-rays of what they'd done, but her knees were absolutely shot at and just eaten away with arthritis. And because of that, she wasn't able to work. And because of that, she didn't have a lot of money and that fed into all sorts of other problems. And so, and we prayed for her and, and she just couldn't receive it because she was absolutely convinced that unless God was totally happy with her and she was perfect and right all the time and did all the things she needed to do to get right with God, then he wouldn't bless her. And, and so this went on for quite a number of weeks, didn't it? And then we were teaching, uh, not, not quite the same as this, but we were talking about what grace is. That in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Grace is what Christ paid for. It's, it's the price he paid under the old covenant. Grace is the inheritance that you were able to receive. So we don't, you know, just I'll put that simple for you in case, in case you, you're doubting what I'm saying. If you doubt what I'm saying, that, that, that is actually Paul, not me. And, and it works like this when you first got saved, didn't it? Jesus died for your sins. 
Jesus died to give you eternal life. Did, did you do anything 2,000 years ago to pay for your sins? So who died for your sins? Jesus, 2,000 years. Can you do anything? Like, can you time travel? Any time travelers here? <laughs> no. So you can't go back 2,000 years and change it, can you? So Jesus has paid for your sins. What's that? That's grace. How do you get the benefit of that and become a Christian? You believe it. That's faith. So grace is what Jesus has provided and paid for. Faith is what receives what he's paid for. And so we, we were explaining this, and she, she just like, I mean, she used a lot of words, but she got it. And she got very excited about it. And that weekend, she was going off on a conference in Glasgow, and, and she got on the plane, because they, they had to help her up onto the plane, because of the arthritis, because she couldn't get up the steps. She got on the plane, and they helped her up. She sat in her seat. She flies up to Glasgow. She gets off the plane at the other end without any help. And her knees were totally healed, and she brought us the pictures, and all the damage was gone. And for years after that, this is a lady who couldn't really get up and down the stairs of her own house properly. For years after that, she stood seven and a half hours a day behind the counter in WH Smith, working. Why? What made the difference? God's power hadn't changed. God's promises hadn't changed. God's word hadn't changed. She just worked out she was a receiver, not an achiever. She got grace. She understood that it's an inheritance I receive because of what Christ has done, not what I have done. That's why the gospel is good news. Because it's, you can't mess it up. You see, every other bit of news you get, you can mess up, can't you? You're free to mess your own lives up. Let me tell you that right now. You are free to mess up your own lives. And, you, you know, we're all pretty good at that at times. The gospel you can't mess up. It's good news and it'll always stay good news. Because you weren't there 2,000 years ago to mess it up. And that's really good news, isn't it? Because yeah. if you're there 2,000 years ago, you're pretty old now. <laughs> but it's good news because you can't mess this up. All you can do is leave it on the table. Or try and receive it inappropriately by thinking you've got to earn it, you've got to be good enough, you've got to pay for it, you've got to pay hard for long enough to get God to move because he's not willing to move and or he's all random and you can just get all this mess in your head. As Hella said, the gospel is really simple. We receive from a loving father whose son died and paid for all this that's ours. So we're not struggling to get things. Our struggle is to rest on what he's done. Amen? Yeah. Let's stand. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you were a God unlike all those other gods that we invent, who wants us to do all sorts of things, sacrifice all sorts of things, pay for all sorts of things, so that we can get you not to be mad with us. 
And I'm really glad, that, Father, that you are not a God like that. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a good God who is good all the time. And I thank you for the sacrifice and the gift of your son who paid for an eternal inheritance for me. I thank you that I am, when I need something, I am able to boldly come before the throne of grace in my hour of need. I thank you that my sins and my transgressions, you remember them no more. As far as the east is from the west, you have removed them. I thank you, Lord, that you did it all for me. And I believe you and I trust you. And so I just want you to put your hands out. And whatever, you know, when, when Ollie was saying before, I really felt that we need to revisit that. Whatever it is you're needing from God now, I just want you to put your hands out. You're not fighting your way into anything. You're just going to receive. Now, I will explain this another time, but this is okay, all right? What I'm going to tell you to do. I want you to imagine what you need is on a table right in front of you. Just visualize it. Whatever you need. So, if you need a new heart, you visualize a heart on a table in front of you. And I want you to reach out and I want to take you to take it off the table. You know, if you need if you need freedom from something, I want you to take a pair of chain cutters off that table. If you need delivering from something, I want you to take a, a, a hammer off that table with the devil's name on it. If you need confidence, I want you to take an envelope marked confidence off that table and open it. Whatever it is. You see, if it's promised in God's word, it's ours. So, Father, I thank you. Thank you that you have given us all we need for life and godliness. I thank you that it's not that problems don't come, but it is that we go through them, that we endure, and we come out the other side stronger. And we do come out the other side with the victory. I thank you, Lord, that when everything is going up and down, everything is shaking, things aren't turning out how we would have hoped for, I thank you that you have promised that you turn all things to good for those who love you. So right now, Lord, I'm believing for you to turn that, whatever it is that I'm thinking of now, I'm believing you to turn that to good. How that happens, I leave to you. But that's what you've promised to do, Lord, and I'm trusting you and not leaning on my own understanding. So I praise you, I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.